0: You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Next Trek Podcast. Every week, we break down the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery and give our thoughts on the final frontier. My name is Chris.
1: And I'm Kate.
0: And we are back again to talk Discovery. I know we've been talking a lot of uh, geek card checks recently, but we've had another Short Trek episode air entitled, um, what is it called? Brightest Star, I believe. And it is yes. Saru's, Saru's origin story. Um, Saru is, I, can, I think, one of the most beloved characters. Kate, what do you think of Saru? Are you a Saru fan?
1: Absolutely. He is my favorite character in the Discovery universe at this point, and that's pretty big because Michelle Yeoh and I have a long history together, but Saru wins for me.
0: Okay, so he's your favorite character, so you must have been excited to see this episode, yes?
1: Yes, this is the one of the short treks I was most looking forward to, hands down, and thankfully it did not disappoint.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Good. Well, I think we might have an interesting conversation then. I'm very excited to hear what you thought. We've not talked about this. Uh, Sometimes we discuss things offline, our thoughts, as we've been watching, but uh, the various hosts have been very busy over the last couple of days, and so we've not discussed this at all. So, Brightest Star, like we mentioned before, is the origin story of Saru, and it takes place on his... We think home planet. We're not exactly sure if it is home is home planet. It could be kind of a, a just a farm, I guess, uh, for his Kelpian race. Um, so Saru is on, I believe the name of the planet is, do we remember what the name of the planet is? Am I going to have to delete all Kaminar? this?
1: Kaminar?
0: Huh, sorry, what is think, it? I'm not sure if I have the
1: pronunciation right, but Kaminar is what I have written down.
0: Yes, Cam- Okay, that's right. And so he and his kind of tribe, it's definitely a pre-warp civilization. It's very nomadic. They live in tents. Um, and apparently every so often, the high priest of the village chooses a group of Kelpians to be ritually sacrificed to the Ba'ul, which is a race of beings that we don't see that apparently need the Kelpians' to thrive and survive, uh, apparently, is what we're told anyway by the, the high priest. And we turn, it turns out that Saru's dad is actually the high priest. So what did you think about this setup? Is this kind of what you imagined? Does this, does this, does the, this, this actual reality pay off to what you were thinking Saru's backstory was going to be when we heard little bits and pieces of it during uh, the first season of Discovery?
1: Well, with Saru, we have the idea, I don't know if it's stated explicitly or if it's just implied by the show that he is the only member of his race in Starfleet, which there is, of course, some precedent for that in other um, Star Trek stories as well. Um, Worf
0: being one, right? Uh, The only Klingon in Starfleet in Next Generation. And, of course, Data as well is one of the only androids in Starfleet. Yep.
1: Right. We have... um, Uh, Seven of nine, a Borg joining Starfleet, you know, um, definitely history there. So it's with him being the only one that implies certain things about where he comes from, but this is the first time we're actually getting a direct look at them Uh, because why Mm. else wouldn't there be others of his race there if they still exist, you know, they're not wiped out or any kind of history like that. And so, um, for it to be a pre-warp society, I think that, you know, that checks out uh, pretty directly and, um, we know that they are considered a prey species that they're I think livestock was a term that was used um in season one for the species and so that suggests a lot about what they do and don't do and the religion makes sense because mm. you need some kind of system in place for a sentient species to consent to be livestock um and yet Saru is yeah. brave enough to go to Starfleet so how did that happen you know
0: yeah, but I, here here's my maybe my first issue, and I have several with this particular episode. I like the overall concept of this. I really wanted to see Saru's backstory, but you know, <clears throat> this whole idea that they are willing livestock is new, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't know they were willing. It, you know, my conception, my thought of what we'd heard previously about S- Saru's backstory was more like they lived on this pre warp planet and they were hunted by another race that lived on the planet right and that's why they had the threat ganglia that they would be able Mm -hmm. to detect you know but the threat ganglia doesn't really even come into play here right the relationship between yeah but i mean like the relationship between um the uh the kelpians and the baul are not is not really fear-based right they're not they Mm -hmm. don't there's no threat there. So why why that was my interesting thing. I just I it seemed to me to be a bit odd that mm. they're willing participants, if the threat ganglia is such a big deal that they've evolved that's evolved in their species over time it just seems a, a bit odd to me that they are willing participants in what is, you know, basically ritual sacrifice, right? Didn't that be, This wasn't that odd to you? Were, were, were you thinking in your head that they were hunted or in some way they were always in fear of being killed? That was part of their species. Or at least I did.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good point because it only, the ganglia only make their appearance um, late in the episode whenever he is, you know, calming his fears to make his big decision about is what, what right. he's going to do. And right. so, um, it certainly implies that um, if they have any purpose, there are additional threats that we haven't seen. Then, otherwise, this is not as sufficient for that. Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, I just I just assumed that because they were kind of the lowest on the on the food chain, so to speak, on their planet, that they were you know the the, the prey and not the predator. Um, that 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 would be a bigger part of his backstory. It apparently, they decided not to go there. It's it's a very interesting concept to see that it is kind of this pre-warp, pre-warp civilization, very nomadic, living in tents, and then there's this, you know, whatever you want to call it, this uh, piece of technology that just floats in the air, and they kneel in front of it, and then they just get, I don't know if they're warped, I I don't know if they're destroyed, or if they're taken someplace, Um, and then maybe, perhaps when they go the other place, then they get hunted? I don't know, there might be a whole lot of things we don't know or see there, but it doesn't seem like the people on the actual planet, the people that Saru are living with are in any kind of fear or danger. They seem like they live in pretty much peace. And the fact they say that, the reason why they they give to the Bo'ul is so that they live in peace, so they don't ever have to fear, they're not, they're not scared or worried, um, right? Isn't Strange. that... Am I, am I missing we didn't
1: anything? Get a, no, I think that's a very accurate representation. Um, I will say we didn't get a very close look at the process, which that wasn't their focus of the episode anyways right. for sure. what happens. Because for all we know, they're getting beamed someplace else and then that's whenever their ganglia go off and maybe they're hunted there or who knows. Um, sure, sure. They, they really didn't look that closely, I think, at those aspects. So maybe we'll get to see more later.
0: Yeah, and I guess, you know, perhaps... This is kind of being nitpicky, but I just I, I found that to be a little disappointing. I was hoping it would be a little bit more of a, a major part of Ceru of being able to meet more of Ceru's people, the Kelpian mm. people. That that would be a part of of seeing how they live and what they're afraid of because of this threat Ganglia that has become such a big part of his his character. Okay, so we see a group of these. Kelpians destroyed or, you know, whatever it is, beamed away. We don't really know what happens to them. And a piece of technology falls from this giant floating whatever it is, obelisk mm. in the sky. And it falls down and the high priest, which we turns out to be Saru's dad, asks Saru to bury this iPad, right? Basically it's right. a it's a it's a it's an iPad that falls from the sky um okay Apple's so far reach <laughs> yeah exactly right so what it okay what, what did you think of that like okay this is this is the basically what it turns out is this ipad is a communications device right mm-hmm. and so saru somehow this pre-warp civilization nomadic living intense he understands what he's looking at mm-hmm. basically an ipad i mean think you know native americans See an iPad and automatically know what to do with it. I found that to be kind of odd, and that he was able to tinker with it a little bit. Did that not? Did, did that bother you at all, or were you like, oh no, it's fine, no big deal? He just a smart guy. Is that?
1: Um, so I wondered if there was at least minor levels of technology because being pre-warped doesn't mean that they have no exposure to technology. They just might not have much use for it. Um, sure. When I saw it, my my thoughts kind of split off into two directions because one was the very obvious, well, of course, this is what they're going to use to to move the story forward so this happens. But right. part of me also was wondering, it, this has happened before. And so is this other uh, species doing this intentionally to see if anybody ever does anything with what they leave behind? Which, you know, there was nothing that really answered that either way but it was a question mark in my head of you know putting you know hooks out there to see if anyone ever does anything with it because you know why leave this behind what part of their process makes that necessary and we don't know
0: yeah yeah no we don't know what the bull want. we don't know what they do we don't know anything about what happens behind the curtain mm-hmm. so to speak so you're right it doesn't we don't really know and we don't see any more of the kelpian um uh race outside of the small little village which is right. i don't know i would not say that it, it, very many people maybe a few hundred at the very most there um, it
1: seems to be a part of this theme of we have a very strong character story of you know, suru's origin but everything happening around it, it it opens up lots of questions and leaves a lot of those threads dangling and Given how much effort went into this episode and the hints about season two, I'm wondering if some of these bits will get start to get answered in season two.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Saru starts to play around with the iPad. Um, he, it looks like, switches the communication device on, and it goes from an alien language, which we don't recognize, mm-hmm. uh, to English, Right, and he—I mm-hmm. don't know if it's him or if it's someone else that sends the message "hello." I believe he receives the message "hello." Is that is that right? Am I understanding that, this? That was my room? reading of that. Yes. Okay, I thought so too, but it's hard to tell because you know this iPad—he wasn't actually touching or typing; it just kind of like just showed up in in these little things. Anyway, it just says "hello" on it, and mm-hmm. then apparently he starts to um, discuss. Uh, or have a conversation with a person who is on the other, the other end of this communication. We don't see that person until the very end, and of course it's a twist, so we'll leave that for, for the mm-hmm. moment. But the entire time, while this is going on, Saru is doing a voiceover. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's talking a lot about the fact that uh, his society does not welcome questions. Uh, mm-hmm. they want to live in this rigorous religious, um, culture that just believes that we need to do without question. We have to obey what the priest says and what the, gods, the Ba'ul tell us to do. Otherwise the gods will get angry and, you know, we won't live in, in peace anymore. And that's all expressed, you know, through a little bit of. Exposition through what Saru has conversation with his family, as well as a lot of of voiceover. What did you think of this storytelling device of using voiceover? I found it again. I feel like I'm being really super negative. Um, maybe I I am. I just don't like voiceover as a way to push the story forward. And I felt like the voiceover was a little intrusive. Did you enjoy it? Did, what What did you think of of kind of that as being the the main driver of the plot or at least the thought process of Saru
1: um I actually quite liked it for this purpose Mm. because to me this episode was it felt a lot like uh If Saru uh, and Michael Burnham were sitting down and have a conversation about where he came from and how he joined Starfleet, this is, in many ways, him narrating how he got there We're just happening to visually see it. And so that device, for me, worked because of that.
0: Yeah, and I think I maybe would have enjoyed it a little bit more if, at the very beginning, we saw them Mm. having that conversation.
1: Yes, I would have certainly loved to see that.
0: It just felt a little odd that, like, oh, Saru's telling a story now and yeah. we're, we're just we're hearing it and he's able to be like and i felt so odd that <laughs> they were not going to tell us blah 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 blah, and that we we're not able to ask questions and i'm like okay i get it i just i guess i feel like voiceover can be l- a little bit of lazy storytelling you know what i mean like just being able to quickly tell the audience what a character is thinking i'd prefer to show and not tell And I'm not sure if they maybe their intention was to do that, and then they looked at the episode and was like, I don't think this is strong enough. We probably need some voiceover narration to to push Mm -hmm. plot forward. But that's my last negative thing I'm going to say. The voiceover I wasn't a huge fan of, and the, the actual, like, bowl relationship I wasn't a big fan of. Everything else... I think I really quite enjoyed here. The, the, the look of it is great. The red sand, uh, the Mm -hmm. tents, um, the actors, um, all that stuff is great. So, um, I really, I really, I really quite enjoyed that. So, okay. So he has taken this iPad thing. He said, hello. He's beginning to have conversations with his, his dad who tells him to bury this iPad device. Um, and that it's forbidden to keep, but he's, Kept that anyway, and then he receives a message that says "today." Am I missing anything in between that you think is important that we should discuss between beginning and then when he receives that "today" message? What am I? What am um, I missing?
1: I think it's worth uh, pulling out his relationship with his sister. Um, okay. Yeah. Because I do feel like he sort of replicates that a little bit with Michael Burnham in season one, mm. where they have that some of that going on, and so there's mm. and some additional resonance to that. Uh, potentially, of him missing his sister because they did seem to have a pretty good relationship and um, she was, you know, um, an a relationship where he connected more than it seems like he did with his father. Uh.
0: That's a good point. That's a very, very good point. That he was definitely looking, and you can see this in season one, for family figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, That he... His relationships in the show are not merely a subordinate to a superior officer or whatever. It is much more someone who is looking for a maternal uh, figure and then a sibling uh, figure. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that is that's a good point to make. Um, that that Saru is is missing those things and desperately searching for for something to fill that in. And when you look at his character through season one, you see that, I mean, you can understand why he would be so upset, mm-hmm. um, by, um, what Burnham does to another character, um, mm-hmm. that is going to about to show up here in a moment. Um, i let us ruin it all. Um, you know, because he sees Giorgio as a maternal figure, um, someone to, um, but just much more than just a captain mm-hmm. he sees him uh, sees her as uh, a mother um and that's a uh, that's a big deal and, yeah. and you can kind of understand why he reacts the way he does uh, when, yeah. when you understand this
1: I, I definitely want to discuss more related to her with the twist but um i, I do want to yeah. uh, highlight one other thing before that which yeah. is he spends this short version essentially Deciding to buck the authority in his life and yet once he's a member of Starfleet He's the protocol following the rules following the leader kind of guy And so I I find that contrast kind of interesting and perhaps suggestive that uh, The very things that led him to defy authority and leave home are somehow being met in Starfleet because he is following the rules or maybe that's just the next step of his evolution in his character arc long term where he where he will perhaps learn how to defy that in some capacity uh, in Starfleet as well. It's it's an interesting question that, you know, we don't have any answers for yet.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, for him what we're seeing is that he has, and we've already known this for for all that we've known Saru is that he has a very strong internal compass, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. he he even though he knows that um perhaps things are going wrong or whatever he's still going to be he's going to do the the best he possibly can to do the right thing um and Mm -hmm. he didn't feel like what his dad was doing was the right thing he felt like there was a piece there missing i think that saru if he felt like there was something wrong going on would stand up for it, um, and I think yes. you see a little bit of that in season one, um, uh, with uh, mm-hmm. with questioning the captain and feeling uncertain and uh, not very happy with his, you know, his his position on on discovery. So, um, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, no, no, I think I think that's a very good point that you make. Um, I, I really do. I think I think that's great, and um, it'll be interesting to see moving forward if his His ability to rebel to do the right thing comes in into play, but I feel like that hopefully that storyline is over. (laughs) I'm hoping season two is much more Trekkian in that you know what everybody on that ship is wanting to do the right thing now. Yes. I, I don't know for sure but I'm, I'm hoping that that's that that's what it is I hope there are not too many shades of gray uh in uh in season two of, of discovery but we'll see we'll see
1: it occurred to uh, me as you were talking about his moral choices that uh, this episode in a way kind of sets up a science versus religion dichotomy which is very star trek you know going back to the very beginning uh, i mean down to like spock and then kirk is like a name for church essentially and so like mm-hmm. down to our primary characters there and yet in him being such a moral character um, who is also a scientist, in a way, we have a marriage of the two rather than um, the two being adversaries, which I think is kind of interesting as well.
0: Yeah, and I think you see that throughout, actually, Star Trek, which is something I, I really do actually appreciate, is that there are so many people who have highly, I don't know if you'd call them religious beliefs, but, um, you know, very, very high cultural some some of them religious beliefs, and yet somehow they also do marry with what is was is happening with with science and the yeah. realization that those two things don't need to be necessarily in conflict, but do have to understand that sometimes science can go amok, mm-hmm. and also religion can go amok. and it is when it is when that those when those two things instead of it being. Um, those extremes that we allow our humanity, uh,
1: Mm -hmm. and our
0: ability to sit here and say, how can we be good? How can we be moral? Morality begins to, to marry those things. And and if we can agree on a few things, um, you know, it's amazing how much we can disagree on. And so I just, I like, I like all of that, but you're right here. It is super extreme. Like, no, this, Mm -hmm. this, this religion is, is not good for the, for the people that are there. Um, and but you know, maybe it'll turn out to actually be he was wrong maybe maybe these people are actually going to you know an amazing heaven, and you know they're whatever whatever, but no, um so that's that's a very good thing and 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 i i do I do like it and appreciate it uh when it's done well, and I think it is it is here, okay, so anything else before we move on to pretty much the end of uh of the short?
1: I think we're there. there's a lot to say here. Okay.
0: Yes. Okay. So today, uh, the message that appears on the screen of this alien device uh, basically is saying that the the person who's been on the other end of the conversation that Saru has been having this entire time, uh, this clandestine conversation that he's been having, keeping away from his uh, his his dad, um, they're going to come and visit him today. So he and his sister start walking out of the village and uh the sister starts to you know get worried that they're moving too far away uh you know they're they're concerned and he says why don't you go back Uh, basically says goodbye to her and then a ship shuttlecraft shows up lands in front of saru and getting out is none other than philippa georgeau uh, of the Shinzo, I believe, at the moment. I don't even know if they say that at them. It could have been before, but I it, did, is there any Shinzo um, illusion? You, did you notice a patch or anything?
1: Yeah, there was, like, I think it's SH03 or something like that on the shuttle, which okay. other super fans have identified as the markings of the shuttles from the ship. So, yes.
0: I was trying to do a little bit of chronology and figure that out, but I just assumed that it's probably already on the Internet. So, good. I'm glad. All right, so, yeah, so it is... She's on the Shinzo and she basically gives Saru an option. Uh, He can either stay where he is and do what he's going to do or come with her and basically join Starfleet, but never go back to his family again. And he chooses to go towards the stars and gets in the Mm -hmm. shuttlecraft and warps away. So what would you think? What, what are your thoughts on, on this, um, culmination at the end here?
1: So this was, so first of all, I was really excited to see her because I, I thought there was no way we're going to get, you know, Michelle Yeoh on one of the shorts because they've been very stingy with their main show actors yeah. in the shorts. And yeah. so that was an exciting moment. We find, we find out of course that she's a lieutenant. So it's earlier in her career. Um, and I feel like this scene sets up a couple of really important things. Um, one of which is his relationship with her and his loyalty to her. Like it, it sort of yeah. reinterprets that for the the first part of season one of discovery. And it, it made me want to go back and rewatch those with this new knowledge to understand how that shaped their relationship and why Saru is so upset with Michael Burnham. It's not just, you know, a violation of protocol or the death of the captain. It's also someone that, you know, he has a very personal bond with because she's responsible, essentially, for him getting to leave his home planet and to try something uh, new that changes his life completely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does retroactively make many of the scenes and sequences, especially in the relationship between Philippa Giorgio, and Saru, better.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it also um reframes Saru because you have this question mark of how does a prey species become not just a member of Starfleet, but a first officer? Like where how does that come about with yeah. all of his fears of conflict and everything else? And so this short in a way gives that answer that, you know, his his curiosity, his 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 wonder his his drive to understand more about the universe that's what helps him overcome his fear to become the Saru that we met with season one.
0: Yeah no absolutely totally and it will be interesting to see moving forward too. I'm hoping that this is not the only bit of backstory we get. I hope there is a continuation here of their their history, or at least an allusion to, because the Philippa Giorgio that we have now in Star Trek Discovery moving forward is the mirror version of mm-hmm. Giorgio. So there's going to be that kind of inversion for Saru, I'm sure, to realize that his maternal figure that he has come to uh, really idolize and respect, of course, is now the inversion of everything that he loves. And so it'll be an interesting yes, uh, relationship yes. to have because this is the very similar, perhaps, relationship that he had with his dad. Uh, and so mm-hmm. to see that go from, you know, the highest morality possible to the lowest mm-hmm. and uh, it being the, essentially the same person or looking like the same person can really mess really mess with your head. Uh, you'll want to be loyal, but you realize that that person is not the one that you knew. So maybe that when when they do have an interaction, it'll mean a little bit more. Maybe it'll really have a little bit more sting to it now that we know that Saru was essentially rescued by Giorgio uh, at the beginning of his uh, of his Starfleet career and was, mm. you know, essentially not raised but like, you know, brought up uh, uh, by by her. So that's yeah. a, it's a it's a pretty big deal. It'll be interesting to see how that relationship moves forward.
1: Yes. Um, the season two trailer, which we haven't really discussed, the opening words are Michael Burnham speaking, and she's talking about, you know, how they look to the stars to discover who we are. And that's yeah. like quintessential Saru in this episode. And so yes. now that they're in the stars and who they are, like, I'm really curious to see where they push this forward. And just the entire conflict that you just outlined with the, with the change to Giorgio, I think, um, well, I sincerely hope that this gets explored in season two because otherwise it's a lot of great setup for nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that is the thing that I've been having an issue with these short tracks just in whole is that it, although they're wonderful, I'm not exactly sure how they are going to tie into, lead into, or make better discovery as a whole now i already see that this one does like i said it retroactively makes many of the things that happen in season one better but i'm really mm-hmm. do hoping that this relationship or knowledge will make what happens in season two better as well which you know could be exciting we'll, we'll see we'll see how that goes Okay, anything else that you want to say at all? Uh, any other thoughts that you had on the episode as we kind of wrap up here? I know, you know, obviously it's a short trek, so it's not a lot. It's not a full episode. We don't want to take a whole lot of time uh, tonight. But I just want to just see, you know, we want to talk about it. Is there anything that we maybe missed? Anything, other themes or anything that we should discuss before we uh, before we head out?
1: um i just wanted to briefly highlight the i'm not sure if it was considered the prime directive at this point in star trek history ah, but, yes you know that's of course a significant theme throughout star trek shows and films and how it changes the lives of people for good or for ill so i thought that was worth pointing out um
0: yeah and it'll be interesting to see how that because obviously there is a argument because we know so little about the relationship between baul and the kelpians you know, it could be seen as a uh, rescue. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But it could also, it could also. I'm. Um, who knows? Who knows? We just don't know enough about that relationship to realize if it was breaking of the prime directive, um, or maybe what isn't it? Isn't it general order one? right now it isn't even called the prime directive i don't know tyler would know that um i know that it is an in, in enterprise <laughs> i think they call it general order one or whatever
1: yes I think <coughs> that's the the early name for yeah it.
0: Um, but anyway yeah that's a, that's a good point is it was the prime directive broken here how did lieutenant George? Did, does lieutenant Giorgio get in trouble for rescuing this Kelpian that she's been having a pin pal relationship with over the last, you know, whatever it was, couple of weeks.
1: Or do the bowl in any way detect, you know, her arrival and want to know who these people are taking their their lunch snacks or, you, you know, we don't know. Right.
0: Yeah, they're slaves or they're whatever it is. Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I think um, um, overall, this episode, it has probably the most we're going to get this season, although obviously we have one short trek left to go, but. Um, This one had a lot of what I wanted, which was so many more ties Mm. into what the new season's going to be. It felt uh, more the closest to essential I've seen of the short treks so far in terms of getting character uh, growth and origin story and making me want to look back and reinterpret scenes like it did. It really made me interact with. Uh, what we know and what's to come in a way that the first two, while I really liked the second one, it was very standalone. And so this one uh, gave me reasons to both look back and forward in a great way.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you that this was a very good um, episode that directly ties in into what's happening or has happened in Discovery. But I still think Calypso is my favorite just mm. story as a whole. Like if if I was going to recommend somebody to watch one of these as just and just Enjoy it as a story. Mm-hmm. I think Calypso is really well done. It's very, very strong. I'm not entirely sure. I just feel like there's a lot of storytelling problems, in mm. my opinion, in this in this episode. So and, um, let
1: me give you a lit nerd perspective on how I'm framing this for myself, at least. Sure. And yeah, no, please. Um, um, th- these are essentially really short, short stories. And yeah. the short story form has very different demands, as you know, from longer form storytelling. And Calypso works because it's very tightly written. Um, the, the voiceover narrative of Saru for, for this episode is very much we don't have enough space and room to cover this stuff and we have to communicate a lot of information so all the devices that are frustrating are exactly the devices that are uh, necessary to this being such a compressed form and so uh, i sort of see the format as governing it which doesn't mean that they aren't flaws to the episode but it's very much i am viewing it as those characteristics of the super short form
0: i agree with you i think I think if you're going to tell a story, though, you have to, you know, you have to understand what your medium is. Yeah. And so this would have worked better as a 45-minute standalone. You know, they, yes. they would have given more room to breathe, and it felt like perhaps that that's what it was even designed for. But because they had to compress it, that voiceover was necessary. And I guess that is what I'm saying. And that's what I have such a, an issue with is that it feels like they had more to do and. They just decided to handcuff themselves, and when they did that, the voiceover became a necessity. Um, And it doesn't break it, it doesn't make it a bad, it's not bad, Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, it's not. It's just I prefer when, you know, that kind of stuff is conveyed via dialogue or character, you know, moments, those kind of things, rather than the voiceover literally telling us why can't we think, you know, for ourselves? <laughs> why does why why can't we be more scientific? It's kind of like beating you over the head with the theme. When I think better storytelling would be to allow the audience to come to that conclusion uh, through through action rather than through a, a voiceover telling you how you should feel or how the character is feeling. Um, that's just my personal thought on it um it doesn't make it bad like i said before i don't think Mm -hmm. it's 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 bad it's just not as strong as it really could be it feels a little more i don't say lazy but that is kind of what i mean it just feels a little more like they wanted to do too much and too little of time, yeah. and so this is what we ended up getting, and that's right. fine. It's fine, but Calypso, want, I think, is just yeah. so much better. You want it to Go exist
1: ahead. in its best form for the story, and I think that's what you're you're saying essentially. And because yeah. we're we're stuck with the shorter form for this, we're not getting the best form for all of the stories.
0: We're not getting the best version of the story. Yeah, um, I, I I fully agree. I fully agree. Okay, anything else that we that I missed? Because I know I probably have missed a lot, uh, but. That's kind of what st- you know stood out to me. Um, I really overall, I quite enjoyed this. I thought it's, I think it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. If you're watching Star Trek Discovery, like I said before, a lot of the moments in this will retro- retroactively retroactively mm-hmm. make season one better, and hopefully, like you said, it will even pay off for character moments in season two. So for me, I give it a, I give it a thumbs up, but a tentative thumbs up it's not as bad as the first one it's not as good as the second one but it's still it's still a good it's still a good uh you know 15 minute. i mean it's 15 minutes just just watch it
1: yeah i think i would rank them in the same order calypso is still the best one in yeah. terms of storytelling the rest uh, this one edges it out slightly in terms of favorite just because i love saru that much and if you're not sure. a saru fanboy or girl then you know but it's um um um, it's still uh, really watchable and an improvement over the first one, hands down.
0: Awesome, great. All right, well, that's been our thoughts on uh, Star Trek: Brightest Star. We're really excited for the next short track, which will be a dive into everyone's favorite antihero, which is Mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you excited about the next uh, short track? So, are you a Mud fan?
1: um i'm okay with mud saru was my high point so like i'll enjoy mud but i've had my high point of the short tricks
0: i mean i love rain wilson and i think he does fantastic in that role i think his episode i'm it's blanking right now but his episode from last season uh was one of the most fun Mm -hmm. in a season where there was very little fun to be had uh his character brings some fun into the room and so i'm excited just to see just to see it simply for that because i think his character is fun and interesting and and worthwhile to to see what else has been going on in his his life so well, maybe in anyway.
1: january you'll, you'll hear me recant and go okay this is my favorite episode so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean, who knows i just think that you know the short the short uh format mm-hmm. will lend well to that kind of a story which is probably going to be a little more slapsticky a little more uh silly and fun and lighthearted and not really all that uh, impactful towards the the story as a whole Mm -hmm. i think what they're trying to do with this one with saru they're trying to be more impactful trying to be a character moment trying to make it really important and you can't really do a whole lot of that in 15 minutes um so it's got to be something completely separate which they did in calypso or something that maybe is a little bit more lighthearted and fun which i'm hoping we're going to get in the next short trek but we'll see we'll see what did you think if you're listening to this episode let us know head over to twitter and follow us at the next trek we want to hear from you we definitely want to join in on the conversation and uh and yeah we're excited for star trek discovery to be coming back very soon in its full-length form and uh anyway until next time live long and prosper